Hello, and welcome to a special Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Brody, and today I'd like to welcome to the show a new friend of mine, Lorna Bradley. Reverend Dr. Lorna Bradley is an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church. She received her Master of Theological Studies and the Doctorate of Ministry degrees from Perkins School of Theology. Her research focuses on how churches can provide a holistic welcome to families raising children with special needs by meeting the emotional and spiritual needs within the entire family. She is the author of Special Needs Parenting, From Coping to Thriving, has led parent support groups for seven years, and worked in welcoming ministries for 10 years. She and her husband of 30 plus years have an adult son on the autism spectrum. And today we'll be discussing Lorna's book and specifically how churches can support special needs families. And this is a conversation I've been looking forward to. So I'm very excited to introduce to you Lorna. So Lorna, welcome to A Special Hope. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm very glad to be part of this. Yes, absolutely. So tell me about your book. What was the motivation for you to write your book? Um, Well, at the time I was serving as a pastor at a church and I had a a member who also had a child with special needs and she asked if I could lead a support group. And I said, you know, great, I'd be happy to. And I went to my local Christian bookstore thinking I was just going to find this book for uh, parents raising children with special needs and, you know, have this curriculum right off the shelf, <laughs> you know, to use. And much to my right. dismay, that book did not exist. And so I uh, found something by Max Licato that I thought was appropriate. It talked about, you know, hope and, you know, different themes that I thought, you know, I felt were appropriate. And so we used that book and I just kind of modified the conversation and steered it around um, special needs. And this four week study ended and I had a parent come to me literally with tears in her eyes saying, we need to keep meeting. And I've never had that experience before leading just a general Bible study. You know, people sign up for a six week or an eight week, you know, series. And when it ends, you know, they're looking for the next thing to sign up for. And that was the point where I realized it was so much more than a Bible study. It was a support group. It was a place Mm -hmm. where these parents could connect and share in a meaningful way this unique journey that they had. And I kept looking for more resources and just really wasn't finding what I wanted. At that time, I was enrolled in a doctorate of ministry program. And I was also at a church that was hosting a disability conference. And our keynote speaker who was coming, I was invited to be the person to introduce her. And in the midst of preparing that devotion that day, I truly had an epiphany that this was the direction I needed to go in my doctoral study, that there was this gap in how the church was disconnected in a way from families that had children with disabilities. And I wanted to do what I could um, to help close that gap and help create a, a closer connection so that families could find nurturing and welcoming community within their churches. And from there, um, my my goal through my research was to fulfill the research I needed to do to be able to write that book so that another pastor in another church would say, could we start a support group? They would have a resource that was specifically written uh, for them and how they could start a support group in their church. Wow, that's fantastic. And it's so interesting to me, you know, the people who are putting the resources out there are the very ones who look at the shelves and say, there's nothing for me, you know, so we write, we're the ones creating the resources that we didn't have when we needed them. Exactly. Exactly. There's so much more in the last 10 years that has come out in disability ministry and um, some really good, uh, Diane Kim recently just wrote a fantastic book. And, you know, again, you know, folks, yes, and folks, they've gone through my material and I'll get an email every now and then from someone that's launched a support group and said, you know, what do you recommend next? And, you know, I say, oh, this is a brand new book out, highly recommend, beautifully written, theologically sound. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's wonderful to see these groups. They finish going through the curriculum from my book and they're um, remaining together, just like was my experience. You know, the four weeks, the six weeks, whatever isn't enough. Folks want to keep that nurturing connection that they have with other parents. Right. So is special needs parenting from coping to thriving? Is this a support group book like that's discussion oriented or is it something that someone could just pick up and read through? What kind of book is this? It's really both. um, And I wrote it to be both because not everybody's going to have access to a support group. And I would say probably a large number of my readers are folks that find it themselves, you know, through Amazon or whatever, you know, book, uh, book buying resource they have and wind up reading it on their own. 
But uh, I've also had an experience where folks will contact me and said, I read your book. I love it. I want to connect in with other parents. There's a little um, appendix in the back that kind of talks about if you want to launch a support group, here are ways to do it. And I've done some presentations. So sometimes I'll, you know, email to somebody if they requested a, a PowerPoint presentation that I'll do sometimes at conferences and it'll show, you know, here's some different steps of how to reach your community and different things they can do to launch their groups. And so it's neat to hear from folks who've read the book and then got inspired to start a group. I've also had, you know, just starting from scratch from a church where a church says we want to do more in disability ministry. And, you know, from right off the bat, they're reaching out and, you know, bringing in a group of people and, and launching it uh, as a resource direct for a support group. So it really works, uh, works well for both situations. Right. And how can churches better support members who are caring for loved ones with special needs? What can they be doing? Is a support group the only thing they can be doing, or is it the first place to start? What would you recommend for churches who are looking for a way to minister to special needs families? There's really a variety of needs um, that are in place, one of which, of course, is, is that opportunity for support. I think a support group is an easy place to start in that you really just need one person who's passionate about leading the group and qualified to lead the group in that, you know, they're good at um, coordinating discussion and they're inclusive and welcoming and friendly, you know, got that right personality mix for uh, creating a welcoming space for people to share. Um, but that's certainly not the only thing. I, I think respite care is really important for parents. I've known a lot of churches yeah. will do that once a month or once a quarter, even respite opportunity. And uh, they've got wonderful volunteers who come in and their caregivers, and not just for the kids with special needs, but for their siblings as well. And that's a wonderful, unique opportunity for the neurotypical siblings because they can connect in with a peer group who are sharing their journey, you know, where they have a, a sibling whose needs are, are different than typical. And that's kind of a unique journey for those kids. And so for them to be able to connect with other kids and realize that they aren't alone in that situation is a wonderful opportunity for them. And then, of course, parents get that respite break and, and an opportunity uh, to get out and, and get away. A um, friend of mine in disability ministry shared the story of one of her respite nights. She had a family that came and, uh, you know, they left their child. And it had been a very long time that I think it was actually a, uh, they were caring for a daughter who was uh, middle teen years. And they left for their respite night and came back and the coordinator said, so what did you go do? And they said, we've never had a break, just the two of us in so long that we just drove to the parking lot at Target and sat there and talked for two hours or three hours. I think it was a three hour window. <laughs> and then we came back and <laughs> wow. they were, you know, she was shocked by that. And so a new opportunity opened for something churches can do. Um, there were, you know, different Sunday school classes that they said, you know, we love what you're doing in disability ministry, but, you know, we, we are not of the age that we can be of help with you with these families, but what, what's something that we can do? And she said, you know, provide a gift card so that when a family comes for the first time, we could give them a gift card to go to Chili's or, you know, whatever local restaurant, you know, might be of interest to them. And then they also went one step further and they provided a gift card to a local store like a Walmart or a Target or a Kohl's and the families could go out and they could get dinner and do a little shopping. And, um, you know, it's like their, their whole evening was kind of provided to them with these two uh, gift cards. And it was the first time she had this opportunity, this disability ministry leader, Denise Briley, the first time she had this opportunity to share a card with a parent, parents started crying and they said, we had this list from the school of resources we needed to provide on Monday and we didn't know where we were going to get the money to do it. And so they were actually able to go buy, you know, whatever things they needed to provide, you know, for their child's school um, when oh, they went back on Monday. So, you know, so I know just a total God moment. And so, you know, just helping equip families in in creative ways, you know, because not everybody is necessarily going to have that that um, time, talent, ability to, you know, host a respite night. Um, you know, but anybody could do a little fundraiser for these things. I've seen folks do, you know, stand behind a church member who required a wheelchair. And as the child was growing and they needed, you know, a larger wheelchair and it was a financial burden for the family, you know, well, they did a fundraiser um, to walk beside this family and, and help get that child their, their wheelchair. And that's just a Aww. wonderful way 
that a church community shows, you know, we understand this journey that you're on and we want to help you um, in any way that we can. That's incredible. Oh, absolutely. And I think other ways that churches can be of help is just with information. You know, a parent, when you, you get that surprising shock of diagnosis, um, for some of us, like with my son, it was a gradual, just realizing there were certain milestones that were maybe a little delayed and you know, behavioral differences. And so it, it was kind of a slow revelation that we were heading, you know, toward a diagnosis of um, something that was going to greatly impact his life. Mm-hmm. But for other parents, you know, that shock of diagnosis can be immediate at the time the child's born. And we don't get a information manual with this right. child. We have to kind of figure it out on our own. And I think if churches just have a list of resources in their area so that parents who are starting out on this journey suddenly know, oh, I can contact our local Easter Seals chapter, or maybe there's a family to family network or, you know, knowing, um, you know, ARC, you know, we had um, uh, ARC of Houston was a resource that we had in the Texas area here where I live now, they have something called regional center services. Just having that awareness of what the resources are in your area can save so much energy for parents not having to go out and look for things. So you can say, here's a, here's a list of resources that may be helpful to you. Yes. It's, it's just a wonderful starting point uh, for them. And I think another area where churches can provide help would be, I guess it's with training opportunities, you know, maybe bring in a, a state planner or a person who can speak with expertise on how to navigate uh, developing an appropriate education plan for your child. Uh, maybe somebody, you know, to talk about certain behavioral therapies and then have that expertise resource available and invite the community, not just for, not just church members, but open this for everybody, you know, invite the community to come here, you know, what these experts have to say and answer questions that would be specific uh, for those kids. And I think and in those, you know, five ways, those are wonderful ways they can surround a family with support so they know um, they know that they're not alone on that journey, um, you know, coming at it not just through the spiritual side, uh, which would be through a support group, the emotional support, uh, you know, respite is also providing emotional support and just giving them some free time and creativity, but that information that people need, financial resources, um, there's just so many different and creative ways that churches can show that they walk with a family who's on this unique journey. Absolutely. And having having a resource that is a list of resources shows the families that are there that we care about you. We see you. We know Absolutely. that you have needs and we want to meet those and we can't you do everything for you. Maybe maybe that church doesn't have respite nights set up yet or that you know maybe they're just beginning and 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 because it's overwhelming for churches to figure out what can we do, how can we help, getting volunteers to come in who are medically trained for respite nights. It's a exactly. huge undertaking. But if, even if a church can say, you know, here are Facebook groups in the area. You know, these are support groups that are in the area that have a presence online even you know, that, that they can help you because those are made up of other parents in the area who they, they know the therapy places to go to. They know the therapists in the area. They know um, what insurance is taken and what insurance isn't taken because they've had to spend the hours on the phone figuring all of that out for themselves. So even if churches can say, you know, here are, you know, physical locations of, of things that can help or estate planning, those kinds of things, but also, um, you know, maybe Maybe we don't have it ourselves, but here's where you can find it. But I do think churches need to take a step in in making those resources available, you know, as a church and being the spiritual leader yes. in the lives of those families and not just leaving it up to. And not that Facebook groups are bad. I'm a part of many Facebook groups and they're fantastic. They're wonderful resources. There's lots of great support from the parents that are in there. But for a church to step up and say, you know, we we want to build a community with you you know, to, to welcome you in, um, you know, what are, and figuring out what are the needs of the people in our community? What is it that they're needing? Um, one thing that our church did um, was that during VBS, which is only one week out of the year, but during VBS, 
we have buddies who meet with kids with special needs who want to come to VBS. So we, we made that available. But we also discovered that a lot of times parents can be a little um, hesitant to leave their kids, especially if they're medically fragile. Yes. And so what we did is we made it known to all the families that had kids with special needs that we had a mom's room uh, or a parent room, but it was mostly, it was, it was mostly moms. And we have a, a, a couple in our church, and they also have a child with special needs. And so he was actually kind of more or less the leader, um, and he helped set things up. And so he he and I were, were a part of that. Um, and they came in, and we just we just did different things with them every night. When we went to the student center one night, and we watched a movie, and we got popcorn and candy and soda, because VBS was like two and a half hours, something like that long. And so by the time everyone got there, and we also fed them dinner because we had we had food for the volunteers um, of VBS. All the volunteers for VBS came a little early, and so they got to have dinner. And so we just made sure that there was extra for the parents of special needs kids who came. Wonderful. And so that was something that we could, we could do for them that, you know, hey, this is one thing off your plate. Um, but we also, one night, we took them out to dinner and we went to Texas Roadhouse and said, whatever you want oh, off the I menu. Love Texas Roadhouse. Yes. The rolls are <laughs> amazing. So oh my gosh. I love the rolls. Carb heaven. <laughs> the country, oh. And the oh. country fried steak. Oh, oh. so good. <laughs> so many good things. I, I particularly like yeah. the garlic shrimp. But yeah, we took them out to, to Steakhouse and there was there was like five of us. So it's not like we have 20 or 30 people. It's a small handful of, of women who are who are staying. And, and we have others who had dropped their kids off and they, they went out and took advantage of the time and they went shopping or went home and took a nap even, some of them. Yeah. One year we took them to a spa in town and we did pedicures, you know, or manicure or pedicure, oh, whatever the choice. And so it was for one week and every night we did something different. But during that time, they got to just talk with each other. We didn't want it to be super structured. You know, we we wanted to just show them that we cared and we wanted to give them time to just be able to talk to one another. And then from that, relationships are developed and, you know, and built upon, you know, over the next year so that when they come back for VBS again, you know, they've been there, we know who they are. Some of them have continued to come to church, you know, and it's just about relationship building. And I think that's yes. really the important key. Tell me about how can churches be building up the relationship between church members and special needs families who are coming in, who may not be members yet or may become members, but how can we be better about building the relationship? I think an important piece of that is um, how the families feel welcomed into the church. Uh, a yes. friend of mine shared, which I thought was a, a I can't believe this happened to her on Mother's Day, but she actually went to a church. It was the first time she'd gone there on Mother's Day. She was invited by her uh, boyfriend. She she was divorced and raising her, uh, at that time, teenage son with special needs and uh, was on a Mother's Day date going to this church to go to worship. And they sat in the back. Her son is in a wheelchair and they sat in the back and were trying to be, you know, unobtrusive. But her son uh, vocalizes at times. And the ushers came. He started to do that while the the preacher was preaching. And I guess that was, you know, the sacred moment that no possible noise could happen. And the ushers Mm -hmm. told her that she had to take him outside because he was making noise, you know, during the worship service. And so she, you know, took his wheelchair out and, you know, rolled him into um, kind of the narthex area. And there were some speakers, you know, thought, well, at least we can hear the worship service from, from here. And so they were out there and listening for a few minutes. And then the ushers came out and said, we can still hear you. You're going to have to leave. And so no. and this was on Mother's Day. Oh, my gosh. And so they left the church. And the a few weeks later, they were at this movie night in the park that this small startup church was was offering. And they went to the movie night and they had a good time. And the pastor came over and visited with them. And, you know, that's key in welcoming so many times. If you have a, a disability that's visible to others. You know, you're in a wheelchair, you have some behavioral differences and people can tell there's a difference. People don't even come and wanna say hello. And the pastor of this church noticed this person who was there with her son in a wheelchair and came over and spoke to her and spoke to her son. She did, he didn't talk over the son, you know, like made eye contact, had a conversation with this nonverbal son, but engaged him, engaged with him in the conversation. 
And he said, you know, we'd love to have you come to worship. And she says, well, I don't know. And he says, no, really, we, we want you to come. So they came to worship and kind of a similar experience. Her son was just antsy in his chair and you could tell he was, you know, kind of bored and not having a good time. And the, the pastor from the front said, I want to introduce to you my friends, Cindy and Jason, and they're new here and we are so excited that they're joining us. And Jason sometimes feels the Holy Spirit and we just welcome <laughs> anytime the Holy Spirit moves him to speak. And so he put everybody at ease. Nobody needed to spin their head around and look and go, who's making that noise, you know, in the back. Yeah. And, you know, after a while, you know, she could just tell Jason needed to, to get up. And so she started to, you know, take him outside. And one of the ushers came and said, well, is there something we can do to help? And she says, well, I just think he's a little bored and he probably just needs to, you know, roll up down the hall a few times and, you know, I'll be right back. And the usher says, if you want, I'd be happy to do that for you, you know, so if they were comfortable and then you can stay in worship and I'll roll them back and forth and bring them back. And and she's like, are you sure? And he says, yeah, whatever, whatever is helpful to you. So the usher took him back and forth a couple of times, brought back Jason with a big smile on his face, rolled him back into worship. And, <laughs> and then after the, the service was over, the pastor came, the usher team came and, you know, other members of the congregation came, welcomed them, said, we're so glad you're here. You know, what can we do to, um, you know, make you comfortable so that, you know, you feel like you can be here every week. Wow. And, you know, from that, a little a little care ministry was born, you know, for Jason, where people said, oh, I'd be happy to, you know, take him, you know, when he needs to, you know, get out for worship. There was a nurse on call um, who was part of the congregation and said, you know, because he sometimes would have seizures. And, you know, she said, you know, if anything happens, you'll feel free to call on me, you know, when you're here. And, you know, just a completely different experience mm. from the other congregation. And it was all how do we welcome the people who who come and are part and it it wasn't that they were completely prepared and trained you know for whatever might happen but it was more when they saw somebody had a need they wanted to step up and say you know what can we do for you right and you know clearly we know where she and jason wound up <laughs> joining and being part of the congregation and just really a tremendous blessing to be part of that faith community yeah, I think it's important for for congregations to welcome. It's not just ministry to, it's ministry yes. with. And yes. Jason's presence in the midst of that congregation is important. Uh, yes. He shares joy in a unique way. And were he not there, the congregation would be less for his absence. Right. Um, the place where I worship, there's a woman who is caring for her adult brother who has autism, and he loves the music. When the music starts, he's on his feet, he's swaying to the rhythm, he's clapping his hands, he's so excited by the music. And this is not a congregation where there is that level of excitement <laughs> about the music, but I find right. his excitement is infectious to me. And I enjoy seeing him enjoying music. And when right. it's time to agree, he's fairly nonverbal, but he has his moments. And I always, you know, shake his hand and say hello to him. And, you know, every now and then he'll surprise me and he'll say hello back. And so, you know, that's always kind of a, uh, you know, during the time of greeting, I'm always, I wonder if David's going to say hi to me today. <laughs> and uh, I, I look forward to that. I, I really do. And yeah. uh, he just, he, he brings something special to the worship service that's missing um, when he's not there. Right. And I think the difference between those two stories that you told of, you know, the, the usher saying, he's too loud, you need to take him out versus you know, what can we do to help and, and you stay and I'll take care of him is that we want our kids to be seen, but we want them to be welcomed and we want them to be loved. Yes. And in both cases, the child was seen. He was definitely seen and heard. But the difference yes. is we want you here versus we don't want you here because you're distracting, you're causing noise, you know, we don't like that. And and in some in some churches, I, I think it's just a it's an awareness issue, it's an ignorance issue, is that in some churches, you know, there's just such an awe of reverence for the Lord and for that that space of worship. And 
And yes. so when there's noise that's involved, it, it, it kind of feels like there's disrespect or it's irreverent. But when we can understand that that this is not out of any place of you know, irreverence at all. This is not being rude. This is not being disrespectful. This is not an issue of of being disobedient or, you know, uh, of discipline. That, that's not what this is. This is this is something that this is the way this child was made. This is how God, the God that we are worshiping right now, this is how God made him. And he wants him to yes. be here. And he wants him to be yes. here in our presence. And so we have to we have to toe the line carefully between what we're calling reverence <laughs> and what we're calling, you know, distraction and disobedience or something that's just, it's just out of place. And our children, our children are not out of place. When we're, when we're in worship together, we are right where we're supposed to be. And so we have to be able to be teachable and to learn that it's okay if, if a child is making noise and, you know, there's a, a child in our congregation, he's a teenager, uh, wheelchair bound, uh, and he's nonverbal, but he really likes to clap, especially during the music. Um, but sometimes even in the middle of the sermon, he, he'll, he'll clap. Um, not often, but every now and again, you, you can hear him in the back. And, uh, and everybody knows who he is, and everybody knows that, that that's how, that, that's just how he experiences joy. That's what he enjoys to do. That's what he likes to do. And nobody has a problem with it. But yeah. it's sad that that wouldn't. That's not true of of all of our churches, and and so how can we? I feel like the the onus seems to be on the families. Like we have to be the ones to say, no, you need to let him be here. We need to be here. But really, the onus is on the church. Right, and and not a lot of families are going to be as comfortable you know, being assertive in that way, because, you no. know, it's a voluntary organization, you know, and if they don't right. feel welcomed, it's hard to, they're not going to push back. And then the issue becomes, they're probably not going to try someplace else later. You right. know, they're going to feel, right. well, I've been rejected once, maybe I've been rejected twice, and they're just going to give up. Right. And uh, that's, that's what really breaks my heart is when, when they don't show back up again, when families have been rejected, and they, they yeah. don't show back up and they just give up. And I think that's an important thing that, that churches can offer to families is when they come and they tell their stories about what happened to them someplace else. We within church ministry have to put ourselves in that vulnerable place of listening to that pain and yes. acknowledging it and, and not saying, oh, well, they didn't mean, well, whatever they meant, that's what those people felt and experienced in that moment. And right. so we have to listen to that and be willing to take the blame for someone else and right. apologize for someone else yes. and, and make that offer to do it better within our ministry setting so that they don't feel that rejection and pain again. Um, you talked about VBS earlier. I recall a parent who had that experience of signing her child up for VBS and she wasn't even home yet. And her cell phone's ringing saying, you need to come pick him up because we can't work with him. Mm. She wouldn't enroll him in VBS for years. And I had a, a congregation that I was serving at that had a wonderful disability ministry and folks who were there to, to have you know buddies to work with the kids. And I think it took me three different summers before I finally convinced her, please do enroll your child. I promise, you know, we will have a partner who will work with them. And, you know, she finally came and, but you could tell she was, that pain was right back at the surface again. And she was expecting that phone call. Right. And it was such a blessing to have the director of children's ministry, you know, greet her that morning, take her child into the group and tell her, there is no child that intimidates me. You are free for the day. <laughs> Go enjoy yourself. We will be fine. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. you know, sure enough, she, she left and she was waiting for that phone call and the phone call never came. And she picked him up at the end of the day, expecting to hear, you know, this report of this went wrong and that went wrong. And, and there was none of that. You know, they said, well, we did this and he, he had this challenge in this setting and this is how we handled it. And, you know, if you have any other suggestions of something else you would prefer us to do, you know, please let us know. But, you know, this is how his day went and what we did and um, everything was great. And she just started crying <laughs> you yeah. know, because yeah. you know, she was able to actually give that care over 100% to someone else and have a little time for herself. Not to mention that her child was at VBS. He right. was learning about God. He was being shaped as a disciple. And that's 
kind of the point of VBS. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We're trying to teach them about the love of Jesus and to give them that and, Absolutely. and, and, and have them tell others. And, and for parents to be able to go out and, and tell their friends, oh, man, you know, I, I dropped my kid off at VBS. And like, really? Uh, can they, can they handle, can they handle John? You know, well, yeah, actually she, she said yes. And so, you know, and it's great to be able to take that testimony back to the community and let them know there is a place that loves us for who we are and that loves my child for who he or she is created to be. And they want them there. I think that's the key is that we can say, oh, you know, you're welcome to come. And then, and then we come and then it's like, oh, well, we didn't realize there was this issue. So now you're not really so right. Well. But, you know, but we want them to be wanted. We want we want ministries and, and church leaders and Sunday school teachers and buddies and volunteers and youth pastors and worship pastors to say, oh, I love seeing your child in worship. I love it when, you know, when when he's there and we miss him when he's not there. Yes. You know, and so what are some of the main challenges to churches who are trying to support families? Maybe they're starting a support group. They're trying to launch something along those lines. Um, But what are some of the challenges that churches have to launching support or even a welcome ministry? I mean, some churches don't even have that in place, you know, besides sending out a bulletin as you walk in through the door. You know, what what are some of the challenges that churches are facing and how can they overcome those challenges? Well, I think an important thing is um, to look for some congregational training opportunities. You know, maybe, you know, in your newsletter, um, you know, just have a little little bit of information about, you know, when you're, you know, working with people with autism, you know, what might be some of the unique challenges with that. Within children's ministry and youth ministry, have training opportunities available so that the folks who are, uh, you know, working with these students when they come in, you know, are, are a little more prepared uh, for the differences that they may, they may have in, in learning and how to adapt their expectations and, you know, being flexible um, in how they work with them. And the congregation that I'm at right now, we're uh, working on launching a disability ministry. And one of the things we're going to try to do is to go into the different groups when they're meeting. So the, you know, men's ministry or Sunday school Bible study or uh, church council and at these different opportunities, you know, just come in with even a little five, 10 minute thing um, as part of their meeting and and talk about, you know, well, if you have a person with special needs who comes to worship, you know, when when you hear when they make noise, you know, it, it's shaming to the parents when everyone's head swings around. And, you know, and if your head does turn around because we can't help but do that when there's noise. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that your lips are in a smile. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then, you know, when worship's over, go and talk to them in a friendly way. Oh, we're so glad you're here. You know, just um, the ways in which we can uh, help educate folks just in general within the congregation uh, to be prepared and welcoming for folks who come. Going a little more deeply than that, going into specific ministries like launching a support group. Some of the biggest things, of course, finding that right leader or someone who's passionate about it um, is important. And finding the right day. How, what is the best way and time to connect in your community? I'm actually trying to launch a support group right now with another co-leader here where I live. And it's been the first time I've launched a support group that has had a very low turnout. And so I'm using it as a learning experience of, okay, what, what do we need to do differently? And I think we just picked the wrong location and the wrong time of day. Hmm. We live in a you know peninsula coastal community and the church that um, made itself available to us, which is wonderful and we're so glad they did, they are so far down the peninsula and you literally have to go not over the river, but over a mountain and through the woods oh, wow. um, to get to this church. And the night, and it's, it's a beautiful setting, but the night that we launched, it was an evening group because we thought, well, we'll reach more people because folks that maybe are, you know, single parent and caring for a child or, you know, dual income and both folks are working, we need to do this in the evening when folks are um, free. It turned out we had a huge rainstorm and, you know, there were trees down, um, power outage, you know, all these things happening. Well, that was the night we launched the group. And so, <laughs> of course, of uh, course it was. You know, of course it was. And, you know, even as it was, a couple people came, but as we left and we're going, you know, back up the mountain and through the woods, there's a tree down and police waving people around in the pouring rain. And 
like, okay, you know, this didn't go so well. And, you know, so the next week, the two people who did come weren't able to come that night and we didn't have anybody new. And so I think that we probably picked not a great location, though we're certainly glad that they, we were invited to host it there. And so we're going to, we're going to keep hosting it. We're going to keep, um, you know, sharing it in our community. We plugged it in in a variety of places through, you know, networking through other churches and disability groups and folks that do, you know, different kinds of therapy for folks with special needs. So we definitely got the word out about it. But I think we're going to relaunch it in the fall. We'll go ahead and finish this spring unit. And we're going to relaunch it in the fall in a different format and in a different setting. Because I think we've just picked a location that's just too hard, too hard to get to. Right. And just out of curiosity, what day were you meeting on? Um, we were meeting on Tuesdays, which we chose very intentionally. We knew that if we were going to be reaching, we're reaching out to folks, obviously, that, you know, we're looking for that spiritual nurture in the midst of special needs. And we thought, if they're plugged in at another church, we didn't want to have it on a Wednesday night because we didn't want right. to put a parent in a situation where they had to choose. Am I going to go to my faith community and be part of choir or am I going to go to this support group? And so we specifically chose it to be not on Wednesday night. And of course, Mondays are terrible because the first day of the school week is just, yeah. <laughs> it's just oh. always hard. Never, um, ever so launch anything on a Monday. Just Mondays are no. just never, they're just never no. good. <laughs> no, no. And we also waited, um, we waited till after the new year, once school had been in session for a full week before we launched it. Because again, when routines change for kiddos with special needs, it's just so challenging. And, you know, the, that first week when kids are going back to school, you kind of need to keep everything very consistent one night to the next. And it's really hard to have a parent, you know, not be there in the evening. And that's another uh, piece of the time of day we chose. We launched the group to be between um, 6.30 and 8 o'clock. So we felt like that would give people time to get home from work, get a quick bite to eat before they came, but then hopefully also be home by bedtime. And right. for some kids, they, you know, they have to have one particular parent do that one particular routine yep. every night or bedtimes are real, uh, can be a real challenge. And, but, you know, like I yep. said, for whatever reason, this is the first time I've had a group that just hasn't, you know, made successful numbers. And so we're just taking it as a learning opportunity and uh, we'll go from there. But I've launched groups in the past that uh, childcare is a key piece. We do have a volunteer who has said she would be happy to come and um, you know work with any children or young adults that need care while their parent or caregiver is as part of our group. And uh, for some churches I've been to, childcare just wasn't an option that they wanted to offer. And in that case, we offered support group during the day. And we knew we would just be reaching stay-at-home parents who had dropped their kids off at school or preschool, you know, and had that little, you know, few hour window. And that's exactly who we reached with that group. But it was a successful group. It was a very successful group, but it was just narrowed in scope. You know, obviously we couldn't reach anybody who was, a, you know, single parent because they were working and they weren't available during the day. But because right. that particular church didn't have childcare, that was really the only option we had um, was to make it a daytime support group. And it, and it was a very successful group and has continued running for, gosh, I think, I think they're on year four uh, at this point. Wow. And, you know, That's fantastic. still a real, yeah. Yeah. still a solid number. I think they've got between 12 and 15 people that are connected to the group, but on any typical week, you know, probably eight um, or so are there. Sure. And so, and that's yeah, really and a good solid a, group number. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Providing a good number for the, so for ministry leaders who are looking at launching something, you know, there's always the, I feel like there's always this tension of we want to reach everybody, but we all know we can't reach everybody. Um, right. You know, even even doing a, a podcast, you know, I, I've put it out there to different groups and people are like, oh, you should you should include th these people. You should include these people. You should do this. You should do that. And I'm like, I I can't be all things <laughs> to all people. You know, you you have yes. to kind of choose a niche and kind of stay there. And then maybe you can broaden it later. But for now, this this is kind of where we live. So for ministry leaders who are looking to to launch a support group or who are looking to, to do something and they want to reach everybody, but they know there's just not going to be a feasible way to do that. What suggestions do you have for them? How can they focus their their area of interest? Is it just getting to know the community or what tips would you give for them to figure out where they need to start? 
Um, I would say knowing your community is very important. And in particular, if a, if a church has members of their congregation already who are, um, you know, present, be in conversation with them. Don't assume what they need, but be in conversation with them about what they need and what would be helpful to them. So, you know, one church I know of, um, I believe it was in Kansas, they, you know, were, were looking at doing, I think it was like information resource sharing and the families, but they were like, you know, no, we've already got that connected in through, you know, this other group. And, you know, so we feel pretty good about that, but, you know, we could use more spiritual guidance and kind of, you know, that, that, that support group aspect was what they wanted. I had another church that it was very interesting that, uh, the folks within that congregation, the big thing they wanted was respite night. And that's where the energy of the volunteers was too, was toward providing that respite night. And I thought, okay, you've got members of the congregation saying they want respite night and you have volunteers saying they're gung-ho to do it. Clearly the, the starting point here is going to be respite night. And right. the, the, the place where sometimes it can be the most challenge is that folks are so concerned about doing everything perfectly that they're almost afraid to start. Yes. Um, there's, well, what if somebody comes with a feeding tube? Well, what if somebody comes and they have, you know, severe behavior challenges that we just don't, you know, we need to get training in this and training in that. And that's true. You know, being, be, be prepared as you can, but at the same time, the, the best resource for you is going to be that parent who walks in the door because no one knows their child better than them. And they're not right. going to walk in and leave their child in a situation where they know the child isn't going to be adequately cared for. And so anybody who's coming that their child has a feeding tube, they've probably fed the child before the child comes, number one. Um, number two, right. if the child needs to be fed while they're there, I've had been trained on what to do with that. The parent just sits down and says, here's what you do and here's the process. And, you know, it, the parent is your number one resource when it comes to being equipped to work with their uh, their particular child. Right. And most parents are glad to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I know the first time someone showed me a little a little feeding button and doing some formula, I was intimidated and the mom was just like, "Oh, it's fine. We've been doing this with her since, you know, she was 2 months." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> because and so she just showed if the me mom what to can do, do it, and said, we can do it. Exactly. And you know, and that's the case for the parents. None of these parents had all this special training ahead of time. I mean, with few cases, I guess a NICU nurse, you know, may have a child right. with a disability. <laughs> and so they are, you know, pre-trained in, in what to do in these medical situations. But, you know, all of us were just kind of thrown in the deep end of the pool and we figure it out. And I think the churches need to be willing to be in that place of vulnerability also. It's mm, just having the yeah. heart to be welcoming and saying, you know, we don't know what we don't know, teach us. And, you know, having the parents being willing to, to help us be, be equipped well. And obviously within, you know, general parameters, you want to have, you know, good safety training. Obviously you want to background check anybody who's working with children. I mean, they're just normal processes that, that churches go through um, when you have adults working with children. But um, right. just understanding that we're willing to raise our hands and say, we are going to try to the best of our abilities and you know, let us know what we can do to walk with you. That's what parents expect more than showing up someplace and having a, you know, the, an off-duty nurse who's fully trained in, you know, any kind right. of medical emergency that could possibly happen. Um, gosh, I don't even have that right. in my own house. <laughs> right. Well, and you can have the best doctor in the world, but if he has a terrible bedside manner, you know, exactly. that's not somebody you want taking care of you. <laughs> you know, you Absolutely. want someone... The most important piece, like you're saying, is is having the right heart attitude first. You know, if that's in yeah. place, then then we can take the proper steps to get to where we need to be. And maybe that's, you know, we can we can get medical training, we can we can do all these things. We can take the steps that we know we can take now. Like we have these things in place. We have these people with this training. Let's start there. Let parents know, yes, we have this. Because most parents are going to say, is somebody trained to, you know, give my child this, this shot? Or is somebody trained in feeding tube? And, you know, they usually will say that ahead of time before they show up because they don't want to waste their time Absolutely. and they don't want to get the kids all ready and dressed and out the door and, you know, and expecting to go have fun and then show up and be like, nah, never mind. 
you know, that's the thing about a special needs parents is we're very, very prepared people. And so we'll ask questions before we come because we want to make sure we know what we're getting ourselves into before we drop off our child with you. So parents are going to ask questions ahead of time. And it's okay for churches to say, you know what? No, we don't have anybody um, who knows how to do that. But if it's something that's easy to do, you can show us how and we are willing to learn. That's really all the parent cares about. And the parents still might say, um, I'm not comfortable with this, you know, but, you know, maybe some training of this would be helpful for you for next time. That's fine. But most of the time, parents are going to be more than willing to say, here's how you do this. It's not a big deal. If there's any issues, give me a call. But I think if we're willing to take the step, like you said, if we're willing to place ourselves in that vulnerable position and throwing ourselves into the deep end of the pool. And we're we're saying, we're going to jump in with you because we want to swim alongside you. We want to be alongside you in this journey and we want to help you. We want to minister to you. We want you here. We want your children with us because they are a blessing and they have something to offer us too. This isn't just us doing something to them or, or for them. We want to do something with them. And and I think that is going to speak to the heart of the parent. And that's the most important thing is speaking to the heart Absolutely. of the parents. Absolutely. What special hope do you have that you can share with ministry leaders who are listening, specifically ministry leaders? And then I'll ask you about families as well. I would point to scripture and um, Jesus's words in particular when he says, do not be afraid. Uh, if this is a ministry that can very easily get mired down in the fear of the unknown, and it's not necessary. The, the truth is God walks beside us in the midst of this. This is truly God's work we are doing in giving families a place where they can belong and connect and grow in their relationship with Jesus and also raising their children up in a relationship with Jesus. When churches don't open their doors to families that have children with special needs, those children's those children are disconnected from that opportunity to become disciples themselves. Right. And that's where we need to overcome our fear and open our doors and be willing to walk beside these families in ministry with them. And what we find in the midst of that, when we overcome that moment of fear and we step out in faith and say, we're going to do this, is the way the whole congregation is blessed by including all of God's people uh, within their community. And uh, I'll point to a a story of a church, a Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, when they were a very small church. They're currently the largest United Methodist church in the country, but when they were a tiny little church, still meeting in a funeral home with, you know, just a I don't know, 50 to 100 people on a given Sunday, they had a guest come who had a son in a wheelchair. And um, the pastor, you know, did a home visit afterwards and knocked on the door and took them a a coffee mug and welcomed them to the church. And the woman said, you know, we had a wonderful time uh, with your church, but we we don't think we'll be back. And he says, "Well, well, why is that? And she says, well, I need you to come in and meet my son, Matthew, who was in a wheelchair. And she says, see, I just don't think a, a church like yours is going to be able to work with someone like Matthew. Mm. And it'd been really easy for that pastor to see this young man in a wheelchair and go, oh, wow, I have no idea what we can do for him. You know, you're right. You know, good luck. Here's this larger church down the street. That's not what he did. He said, give us one more chance. He says, come back this next Sunday. I think the first time the mother had come, she'd come without Matthew. I think she had come on her own, which often happens with special needs children. You know, the parent, yes. the whole family doesn't come, you know, we divide <laughs> and conquer. Someone stays home with the right. child and, you know, you tag team it. Yeah. We need to check it out first to make we sure gotta it's safe. We got to check it out first. <laughs> and he said, he said, give us a chance. He says, please come to worship again this next Sunday and let's just see what happens. And so the whole family comes to worship. And um, at, the, at the end of the service, he had invited the whole family to come forward. And he says, I want to introduce to you our new guest. This is the Joyner family, and this is their son, Matthew. And um, we, are, we need to know um, if there's a place for them here. And he says, is there anybody here who would be willing um, to meet with this family and see uh, what we can do to help make them part of our community? And he just tossed it out there. And waited to see what would happen. And, you know, there's that kind of little quiet for a minute and not much happens. And then one hand goes up and another hand goes up and another hand goes up. And I think they have four or five people raise their hand. He says, fantastic. He says, let's all pray together and, and you know, dismiss the congregation. And he says, you four or five, whatever it was, you know, come down here, meet the Joiner family and let's figure this out. Wow. And that's how it started. 
That is a bold move. It's a bold move and it worked. And because he trusted his congregation had a heart to be welcoming. And they now have a fantastic disability ministry, which is still called Matthew's Ministry. They have a day program for adults. Um, they have a respite night. I mean, they have one of the most successful disability ministries in the country. And it didn't start with training. And it didn't start with worrying about whether or not we could do this. It started with mm. not being afraid. Yeah. And because they welcomed that that family into their community, that entire church, the DNA of the whole church changed as the church grew. And disability is woven into the life of that congregation as it's grown. And it's been blessed in a way that people never expected. And so I think yeah. that's especially the place I see hope for the future is that, you know, when we look beyond fear, and we reach out and we make those relationships and make those connections. That is a beautiful way of being, of being the disciples that we're called to be in ministry. Mm. And what special hope would you give to families who are in search of a church who is going to love and welcome them? I would say, you know, definitely don't give up. If you have a bad experience in, in one place, which is fairly common, for families that are raising children with special needs, if you have a bad experience one place, um, don't give up. You know, keep keep trying. Um, you know, maybe do what the the joiner family did, and you know, one of you go ahead and scout out the circumstances. You know, to see if it's a place where you <laughs> you think you'll be welcome and included. But there's resources online that can help you find um, uh, churches that are that are welcoming. And I would encourage you to just you know keep trying because we're meant to be in community. And uh, we're meant to support one another. And there are plenty of faith communities out there that want to do that and want to be inclusive. And uh, don't, don't give up if you have a bad experience. Yes, definitely. Definitely do not give up. Lorna, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your heart with us. This has been just such a wonderful conversation and hope-filled and encouraging and practical. So church ministry leaders, I hope you take to heart some of the things that Lorna has, has given as advice. And for families, there's hope and there's encouragement in this as well. If you'd like to connect with Lorna, you can find her on her website at specialneedsparenting.me, on Facebook at Lorna Bradley Author, on Twitter at RevDocLorna, and of course, don't forget to check out her book, Special Needs Parenting, From Coping to Thriving, on Amazon and on her website. All of these links will be made available in today's show notes, so please check those out. I'm your host, Sarah Brody, and this is A Special Hope. You can find our website at hopeinautism.com slash a special hope podcast. Also on Facebook and Instagram at a special hope podcast and on Twitter at a special hope pod. You can also email me at a special hope podcast at hopeinautism.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media and hear your comments. And if you're enjoying listening to a special hope, I would greatly appreciate it if you could give a five-star rating and give a quick review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen. It goes a long way towards helping others find hope and encouragement. Thanks so much for listening today. Have a great week.